Well, good morning. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I hope you have kept up reading the book of Ephesians. If you've already read it one time, great. If you've read it twice, even better. If you're reading it every day, man, that's great, because this is an awesome book. How many of y'all are sports fans? I don't know that I can honestly call myself a sports fan, much of a sports fan anymore. I don't have a lot of time for sports. We don't make a lot of time for sports. Uh, but I love Texas A&M, all right? I love the Aggies. Whoop! All right? And the Aggies do something that uh, I don't know that any other school does. Uh, how many of y'all have ever been to an Aggies game in Kyle Field? Oh, man, that is an experience right there. I mean, it, uh, it is so noisy. Your ears, my, my ears at least, can no longer like distinguish what is actually happening. My ears are just noise. It's just so loud, and that's because they're so behind their team, right? But one of the things that the Aggies do that I don't know that any other school does is they have what they call a midnight yell. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all know what the midnight yell is, brother? Uh, uh, brother Thomas knows. Wayne Thomas knows. The Aggie midnight yell is the night, the Friday night before their big game. They'll have people fill Kyle Field and they will practice cheering. So... I'm a little tired this morning, and that's okay. So, uh, But we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, these first 10 verses. And so uh, we weren't here last night at midnight, but we're here right now. We're just going to have a little practice uh, midnight yell, okay? A midnight amen for this passage. You ready? Oh, man. All right, there we go. There we go. All right, everybody say Amen. amen. Hey, praise God. Praise God. There we go. Uh, it, now imagine, imagine as you're praising God, okay, as you're, as you're listening to this message, I need the same energy that when C.J. Th- Stroud throws the winning Super Bowl uh, a touchdown pass, the, the kind of noise you're going to make. You're going to go, yeah, amen, okay? Amen. amen. Okay, let's do it. Because this passage, it deserves... God's praise. It deserves it. Uh, This this book is so powerful, especially these first two chapters. Uh, They they reveal to us, and we've talked about this, God's glorious plan. God's plan that uh, it is a God-centered plan. We talked about that. We talked about how we, God has included us in his plan, that God has blessed us into his glorious plan, and that we have received all spiritual blessings because of Jesus Christ. We saw last time I was here, we talked about how Paul wished for us to know Christ, to know him in a way that was far more intimate than any uh, time we have ever known God. And, and, and he wanted us to know him so personally. And he wanted us to know Christ's power and, and understand that we are part of Christ's body. And then we get into this chapter. And it deserves as much loud praise that we can generate. 
genuine, okay? I don't want you to make it up and fake it, okay? Don't make it and fake it. Let's do it out of our hearts. But let's stand together. We're going to read these first 10 verses of chapter 2. And then we're going to try to take some time to examine what they mean. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus." For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for this passage. And God, I praise you for all the help you can give me this morning to preach this with power and conviction And in such a way, with such clarity, Lord, that it will just shine off the page for us and it will show us what wonderful joy and identity we have in you. And God, I pray you just would help us to grow according to this word, help us to uh, just for it to burn in our hearts and that we will respond according to your word. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You may may be seated. We're going to look at this passage and we're going to break it down in three different ways. First, it's going to be past, then we're going to talk about present, and then we're going to talk about future. And I think that exists in this passage. I believe it does. I see it uh, when I read it. And first thing we're going to see is the past. These first three verses describe for the believer, because Paul is writing to this church here in Ephesians, he's writing to believers, and I think most of the people who are in this church this morning are believers, you're members of this church, if you're, uh, and, and if you're a member of this church, you should be a believer at least. And so this is for you, okay? Uh, and he describes our past. He says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. The first thing we see about our past is that we were dead. We were dead. We were completely dead uh, to any kind of... And we're talking about spiritual death. Uh, Whenever we're born, uh, we're born into this world. All of us who are here today have been born of water, like in John chapter 3. We've been born of the flesh. We have a living body. But of course, God has like in Genesis chapter 2, breathed into us the breath of life. We have an eternal soul, and, uh, and so we have a, a spiritual life. But at some point very early in our development, we understand the difference between right and wrong. We understand uh, sin. We understand the penalty of sin, that there's consequences, and we are, find ourselves spiritually dead. Now, uh, I've never done this before, and I 
I will never do it, I don't think. But if you've ever been to a funeral and, and there's an open casket, imagine if you took a pen and you poked that body. Do you think it would respond if it, the same way it would respond if you poked yourself? No. Uh, I, I, for a little while, I had a medication I had to take that was, I had to give myself injections. Can I tell you there's nothing more unnatural than poking yourself with a needle? It's awful. I only succeeded in doing it one time, and then I was happy to spend the 15 bucks to go get the nurse to do it. Because it was so unnatural. I mean, I would sit in the, in the bathroom just, you know, trying to psych myself up for, to do this, try to, like, detach from my arm. My arm's going to do something else, and I'm not going to pay attention to it because uh, I, if I try to control it, I'm going to stop it. And, man, I, only one time, it barely happened pretty much by accident. It's an unnatural thing to poke yourself with a needle. It's awful. And when you get poked with a needle, you react, right? You jump, you try to stop that, that hurts. But a dead body doesn't respond. And this is how we were. This is where we find ourselves whenever we realize we're lost, we're dead spiritually. We cannot respond to God and to understand the things of God as God would want us to because we're dead spiritually. We're dead in our sin, and then verse 2, he says, wherein in times past you walked. I want you to underline that word, walked. Okay, We're going to underline another walked in this passage uh, because it bookends this whole passage. But we walked according to the course of this world. So we were dead and we see that we're also disobedient to God. I... There may be some of you here today who have never trusted Christ, and, or maybe you can remember into the past what it was like before you got saved. And you remember, you didn't want to be obedient to God. You wanted to do your own thing. You wanted to define your own good, your own bad. You wanted to define your own pleasures and, and seek those on your own. And, and, and it leads to disobedience. We don't really like authority. Americans don't like authority. We like to be our own. We like to be independent. We like to be our own gods. We live, the way of this world is disobedience to God. The way of this world is to, to reject God's standard. Uh, look at this. We, time passed, walked according to the course of this world. According, according, what is, what is that word equal? Under the, under the instruction of. Okay, if you're in a class, and uh, my, my wife is a teacher, and whenever she teaches her class, she gives them instruction, and they will, they will behave according to her instruction if they're working in obedience, okay, towards her. This is, it's describing for us our previous situation where instead of walking according to God's will, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Listen, we're not only disobedient, we're controlled by evil entities, controlled by the devil, the prince of the power of the air. Y'all know who that is. That's, just, that's the devil. And it's referenced just in the previous passage where it talks about uh, Jesus and his power. <laughs> and it talks about that he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Christ is over all these powers. But whenever we were lost, we lived according to this power. 
and we lived according to its will. We were controlled by evil entities. Then we see even further how depraved we are. In verse 3, among whom also you had your conversations in time past in the lusts of our flesh. Uh, He's not describing a pretty picture here. He's not describing something that is uh, full of holiness and righteousness. He's describing something that's ugly and completely rejecting God. According uh, to the lusts of our flesh, uh, we are uh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. Uh, What does that remind you of? It reminds me of of Genesis chapter 3. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you, you read that interchange that takes place between the serpent and Eve, Eve does something. She, she does something that really speaks to our very nature. I'm going I'm to turn there so we can read that, and I can read that to you accurately. Um, Genesis chapter 3. And by the way, I guess our yell, midnight yell, didn't work too well. Y'all are kind of, y'all are... Man, y'all are struggling like me. Get excited now. When the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food. You know, she saw with her eyes that that tree looked tasty. The, The fruit on it looked tasty. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. And and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and did eat. You know, what it's describing in verse 3 is the exact same thing, that we fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's another place in Scripture where it talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Hey, we want to be powerful. We want to be, have wisdom on our own, outside of God. Uh, we want to experience pleasure outside of God. That's our flesh. And when we were lost, that was our way of life. We were depraved. And then the last thing that we see about our past is is recorded for us in the last few words of this, uh, that we were doomed. It says, you were the children of wrath, even of others. Whose wrath are we talking about? Is Paul writing about here? The wrath of God. You know, we don't often talk about the wrath of God because it's, it's kind of a terrifying thing. The wrath of God is truly awe-inspiring. Um, God's, God's holiness is absolute. Amen. And when we think about God's wrath and His eternal judgment that is pronounced upon those who have rejected Christ... It seems really harsh. I mean, it seems just, I don't know, God, that might be too much. We're talking about an eternity of torment separated from you. And, and even in, in Scripture, Jesus described a, a situation where there was a man who wanted, he just wanted someone to put a drop of water on his tongue and it was withheld from him because he was separated from God. There was not even enough mercy, a completely merciless uh, existence in hell. I mean, that's too much, God. That's pretty rough. And that's but we, we see it that way because we see it through our own eyes and our own standards of fairness. But God's standard is completely different. <laughs> my ways are not your ways, your na- or your ways are not my ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
God is different. God's holiness is absolute, and so his wrath and his judgment must be in comparison to his holiness. And before you were saved, or if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I hate to tell you this, but this is actually your present. You're the children of wrath. You face eternal judgment and separation from God. Just imagine with me for a moment that you're in that state again. That you don't have heaven to hope for. That the blood of Christ has not washed away your sin. And that you are responsible for every sinful thought and action and word that you've ever said and lived. And someday you face an eternal judge. Do you feel comfortable? No. No. Two of the sweetest words in Scripture, though, begins verse 4, but God. But God. He describes, for those of us who've trusted in Christ, our present situation. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He hath loved us, Uh, Did you know that God's work for us is that he has loved us? Think about all, I just, I want you to connect the dirtiness of our sin with the love of God. Uh, You know, we, it's easy for us to pick out each other's faults if we look for them. It's really easy. It's even easier to pick out your own if you're honest with yourself. And when you focus on those things, it's easy to hate and to let anger fester and, and, and bitterness. It's easy for you to, to realize what judgment you deserve. But God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see only that. He sees his love for you. God loves you with a great love. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. He loved you. Not only did he love you, he's quickened you even when you were dead. When you were dead in your sin, he hath quickened us together with Christ. In fact, the very first verse, he's talking to these, uh, these believers and he says, you hath he quickened. What in the world does quickened mean? Uh, that's uh, that's uh, accounting software, right? Yeah, quicken. He's, uh, he's, no, what does it mean? It means to make alive. We were previously dead without hope, without any uh, uh, destination of hope and joy and peace. No, our our destination was eternal judgment. We were the children of wrath. And then, because he loves you, because of his rich mercy, because of his kindness that he shows towards us, he's made you alive. Oh, man. Midnight yell. Come on. (coughs) Wake up. He's made us alive. He's quickened us. And not only that, (coughs) how has he done it? You, uh, You were dead 
and sins hath quickened us. And then he uses this word three times together. It means together here, right? We're together. Are we together right now? Yeah, we're together. I'm here. You're here. We're together. Is he talking about us? Yeah, he is talking about us. Is that all he's talking about? No. Because he didn't, he's not finished with just saying he's quickened us together. He said he has quickened us together with Christ. Amen. Listen, when, when Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood for you, and when God raised him the third day, what was offered to you was not just a, 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 a wiping clean of your eternal slate. It was not just a, the opportunity to, to attend and be there in heaven. What was offered to you is what is offered to Christ. Now, where is Christ? Well, it goes on a little further. Even when we were dead in sins, verse 5, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together. So now not only are we uh, uh, put together with Christ, we're exalted together with Christ and hath made us to sit together with Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is Christ right now? He is seated. You know, he's seated. You know why he's seated? Because his work is finished. And there's no more that needs to be done to assure your salvation and his eternal glory. But he is seated where? At the right hand, in the position of power next to God the Father at the throne. Listen, when we're seated and we're exalted, we're exalted with him. When God looks, someday you are going to face judgment. Uh, it's, just, it's just a fact of, of eternity that all of us someday are going to stand before the living God, your maker, and we're going to give an account for our life. And in that time, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, guess what he's going to see? He's going to see Jesus. Amen. He's going to see God's right. He's going to see Christ's righteousness. He's going to see Christ's holiness. He's going to see the blood of Jesus Christ having washed away all of your sin. And now you are, you are, uh, you, you have an inheritance with Christ. Amen. We are quickened. We're made alive with him. He's exalted us. I, I have some words uh, down here. I, he has co-enlivened us. When he raised Christ, he raised you to life. He has co-raised us, exalted us with Christ. He has co-seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. He has exalted us in such wonderful ways. And why? Why did he do this? Well, it tells us in these few verses, verse 4 through 9, because of his rich mercy, because of his great Love, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, his rich grace, and the kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Listen, the only reason why we are made alive in Christ isn't because of anything we've done. It's because everything that God has done. There were three friends who went to heaven. They died together in a car crash. One was a doctor, one was a teacher, and one was a janitor. And uh, 
When they got to the, pa- the gates, they were given a questionnaire, which was surprising to them. And on that questionnaire, there was a really, you know, kind of a probing question they never considered before. And, and one of, one of the, the questions it said was, it says, when you were in the casket, friends and family are mourning over you, what would you like to hear them say about you? And the doctor, you know, t- took him a, just a short moment, and he immediately responds, he says, you know, man, I, I would love for, to hear my family and my friends talk about how I was one of just the greatest doctors, and I was such a great man. And the teacher, you know, he had a quick answer too. That, certainly that answer he heard from the doctor helped him. And he said, you know, I, I would love uh, for, uh, for everyone to understand that I was a great teacher and to, and to talk about the impact I made on children's lives and, and how I poured myself into them and that I, was, I made a huge difference for the people of tomorrow. And the last guy thought for a little longer and he goes, you know what I'd like to hear them say? Hey, he's still alive! Listen, we're alive in Christ. That ought to mean something to you. Alive for a different life than the one we're probably living. This is a life-changing reality. Let's look at the future for those who haven't yet believed And for those of us who have believed, for those who haven't yet believed, I've skipped a verse, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And I'm going to skip that little bit in the middle there and just finish. It is the gift of God. We'll get back to that little bit. This morning, if you're here and, and you've never trusted Christ, or maybe if you're here and you have some kind of a you know, you've been going to church most of your life and you have some kind of idea that maybe you got saved sometime, but you're not really sure. You know, First uh, John 5.13 says that you can know. John wrote these things. He said, I wrote these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. The Bible says that you can absolutely know. You don't have to be questioning your eternal life. You don't have to be questioning your eternal destination. And so if you're here this morning and you're not completely certain of where your salvation is and what your situation is, let me encourage you. For by grace, that's God's part. Uh, anybody want to define grace for me? Unmerited favor. Yes. Unmerited favor. And, and whose grace is this? This is God. So this is grace, unmerited favor with God. Earlier it talked about mercy. There's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is the withholding of judgment that we deserve. Grace is receiving of blessing we don't deserve. For by grace, that's God's part. In in God's grace, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood on the cross, on a Roman cross, in a real period of time, on this earth for you. For you. For by grace you're saved. There's another part. Through faith. That's your part. Through faith. Through belief and trust in Jesus Christ. In John 3, 36, uh, John makes it very clear uh, when he writes, he says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not 
shall not see life. You're going to remain dead in your trespasses and sins. But the wrath of God abideth on him. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God. And all that is required of you is for you to lay aside all the ideas that you can do it on your own, which is our natural, flesh-driven uh, uh, idea about salvation, that we can be good enough. That, and the, the devil wants you to believe that hook, line, and sinker. I mean, he wants you to buy into the, I got to buy my way into heaven. I got I to gotta, I gotta go to church. I got to give the, the most in the, uh, the offering. I, I should serve the most fervently. I, people ought to be able to see how great I am and how much I love God, and that will save me. But None of that will save you, not even a little bit. It won't even, he won't even buy for you a drop of water on your tongue in hell. If you want to get saved, it is by grace, through belief in Jesus Christ, trusting in his eternal uh, 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 sacrifice for your sin. He is risen life that is now going to be your inheritance. And just trusting in him, not just an assent to the facts, I, I don't want to belabor this too much, but I need you to understand this is not just acceptance of facts. This is not just saying, okay, I believe that that happened, and I believe that this is what he intended, and so I believe that if I believe that I'll get saved. No, we're talking about you're in an airplane, and the airplane's going to crash, and there's one parachute, and the only hope you have is to put on Jesus Christ, jump out of the plane, and any other hope you have in that plane, and pull the cord and trust completely in Christ. We're talking about trust, belief, uh, uh, true living faith that is acted out in the way uh, we posture our hearts towards God. It is by grace that you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift. And praise God it's a gift. Because there's no way I could earn it. There's no way. I would fail miserably at earning God's gift. But he just offers it to you freely. And if you're here this morning and you've, you've never trusted or you're uncertain, listen, you trusting Christ this morning will not undo anything that happened in the past, but it will make you sure about what is going to happen in the future. For I grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Verse 9, not of works. Why? Why, why would God do that? Why would God say, no, 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 you're not going to be able to pay your way in. No, I'm sorry, but the catechism is not going to secure salvation for you. No, no, baptism isn't going to get, no, no, that's not a work that's going to help you get saved. Why would he say not of works? Oh, yeah, there's an answer in there, isn't there? Y'all know the answer. Lest anyone should boast. You know what God does not want? He doesn't want you to go, you know how great I am? I gave so many thousands of dollars to the church, and now I get to go to heaven. Uh, Warren Buffett, long ago, uh, I think this was in the 80s, he, he made a pledge. He was worth, like maybe it was 80s, early 90s, he was worth about 40-something billion dollars at the time. Now he's worth probably three or four times that. I mean, he's very wealthy and savvy businessman. And, and he, he, he made a pledge that he was going to give 85% of his wealth when he died uh, to charity. He was going to give it away at his death. Tremendous wealth. 
And in an interview, he said this about his pledge. He said, you know, there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. There's many paths that get to heaven, but this is a great one. $40 billion isn't going to buy your way into heaven. It can't buy the righteousness of God. You can't buy God's holiness. It is absolute and infinite, and you don't have the money to pay it. So, And it's God. By the way, God is the one who deserves all glory. Okay, So if you can say, well, you know what? Hey, on that day I got baptized, and that means I'm going to heaven because I chose to get baptized. Let me tell you, you're trying to get God's glory from him, and that's not going to work for him. Lest any man should boast. And then this last few verses, this is really the future, or the last verse is the future for us believers. And he's describing our, uh, our purpose, for we are his workmanship. He uh, I, uh, one of the things I enjoyed about working at AT&T is I got to work with my hands. And at the end of the day, I got to see that I had accomplished something physically. I could, I could see the wires that I had pulled and how I had connected them correctly and that the service flowed through to the customer's home and they received internet and whatever other services they were trying to get. It was a blessing to me because I like working with my hands. It was my workmanship. You know what Christ has done when he died on the cross for you? He secured for you eternal life. That was his workmanship. And he is pleased that he has done that. He says, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. What does it say? Unto good works. Listen, it's not by works that you're going to be saved. You're going to be saved for good works. Christ has died and shed his blood on the cross so that you might receive eternal life and then live for him. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ and you're a member of this church, your job, your very purpose now is to live for him. And I love the way Paul describes it. He says, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Look at that word again, walk. There it is, it shows up again. Before, we walked according to the course of this world, and now we are to walk in the works that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our life is to be about Christ. I pray that the quiet in here is you quietly considering how Christ would have you to live. Because he paid for your eternal life that you might live for him. The, the words that he has before ordained, I, I think what that means to me is that God has a plan for your life. If you're wondering, hey, what's the point of all this? I mean, now I'm saved and all, but I'm just supposed to like come to church and you know, maybe go to camp every other year or something like that? I mean, is that, is that all there is? No. There's a life for you to live that God has has before ordained that you should live for him. There are people in your path that God is going to put only in your path that you're going to be able to share the gospel with that nobody else can. There are people in your path that 
you know, you may not have an opportunity to share the gospel, but you'll have an opportunity to live a Christian life ahead of them and in front of them so that they might see with their eyes that there is some hope in this world that whenever difficulties come and trials rain down upon us, that you know what, we can stand strong because our faith is in Christ, not in the hospital system or the government or whatever else it is. People need to see Christians. We live in a world of, 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 of a lack of hope. Our hope is, is in uh, political division, it seems like. It's ridiculous. They want us to, uh, to believe what they say we should believe and, and, and that that's going to solve all the ills of our, our society, but that's not true. All... All of the ills of our society are going to be fulfilled in chapter 10, or verse 10 of this previous chapter, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, God might gather together in one all things in Christ. God is going to restore everything through Christ. And so for us to live, we're to live Christ in our life. And we're to live it in such a way that people see the hope of our salvation and they'll want it too. You want to know what else he wants us to live? Well, stay tuned because we got about three chapters at the end of this book that describe the works that we should walk in. But this morning, this morning, I want to share one more story with you. And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I want you to listen real carefully. It's a story about some uh, two men in, in 1829. Two men, uh, one was named George Wilson and the other was James Porter. And uh, they robbed a United States mail carrier. Pretty big deal then. Both of them were captured and tried in a court of law. And on May, in May of 1830, both the men were found guilty, both of them, of six separate charges, including the robbery of the mail and also putting the life of the driver in jeopardy in their judgment. The price for their uh, breaking the law, they received execution by hanging to be carried out on July the 2nd. Porter was executed on time, but Wilson wasn't. See, uh, Wilson had some influential friends, and Wilson, uh, his friends, pleaded for mercy to the President of the United States, who at the time was Andrew Jackson. And surprisingly, I think, Andrew Jackson issued a formal pardon to George Wilson, dropping all charges and leaving Wilson only to serve 20 years in prison for his other crimes that he had committed before. But incredibly, George Wilson turned down the pardon. That never happened before. I mean, what do you do when a guy says, no, I don't really want it, thanks. They had to figure out what to do. The official report states that William chose, uh, Wilson chose to waive and decline any advantage or protection which might be supposed to arise from the pardon. Wilson also stated that he had nothing to say 
and did not wish in any manner to avail himself in order uh, to avoid sentence. This is such a big deal, it went before the U.S. Supreme Court. And they finally, after deliberation, they determined that the court, listen to this, the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property. And he may accept it or not as he pleases. Chief Justice John Marshall at the time wrote this. He said, A pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, but delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it upon him. I hope I've made this clear, if you've never trusted Christ this morning. I hope I've made this clear, but this pardon of sin, payment of sin, it belongs to you. Christ has delivered this into the hands of every person. And he begs you to accept it. Jesus said in the book of Luke, he said, I I came to seek the lost. To seek and to save the lost. And if you've never trusted Christ, you're lost. And this pardon is in your hands. But the court of God will not force this pardon upon you. You must accept it. Let's stand together.